Greetings and welcome to Mind Matters News. Continuing our coverage of the new book, Minding the Brain, by Angus Manouge, Robert Marks, and Brian Krauss, we have Pat Flynn joining us from his podcast, Philosophy for the People, interviewing Jim Madden, author of the chapter Mere Hylomorphism and Neuroscience. Enjoy! Professor Jim Madden has returned. Oh, dude, you already got the, uh, the paper They came bags. today, man. They came today. Dude, well, okay. Well, I guess the cat is out of the bag. We're going to be talking about this new volume. It's a very good new volume. I, I haven't read it all, but I've spent a, a good amount because it's big uh, and I just got it. Um, but it's a book on really philosophy of mind. It's called Minding the Brain. You're looking at one of the contributors there, obviously the most handsome contributor, Professor Madden. And um, give us a little background uh, of this project, Jim. I don't know when this episode airs, if they'll hear the... The other podcast, I am doing a couple episodes with some of the other contributors. I don't know how it will all line up, but anyways, just give us the background. How'd you get involved in this? What is it well, about? Which uh, which contributors are you doing the show with? I think it is Dr. Angus Manouge. Um, I think uh, Bob as well. Bob Marks, he's been on the on the show before. And I think Kraus, is that is that yeah, the, Krauss, the other editor? Yeah. yeah. Right. Nice. So, so there we go. Yeah, it'll be brought Yeah, so I was, I can't remember if I was contacted by Angus or, or Robert Krause, um to do it. I think it was Angus, but I've, I've known, I've, I've had kind of like one order removed from Angus Manoj for a while um, in that he is professor of philosophy for a long time at Concordia University in Wisconsin in Mequon, right? Just oh, really? North, yeah. Not too, not too far from here. Or I have the distinct uh, distinction, distinct, distinct distinction of having been kicked out of my freshman year of college. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, right, and so there was a. That's why yes. you're the maverick philosopher. You're the bad yeah, boy. <laughs> I had very, I had exceptionally good grades. Like the, I remember the uh, the woman who was sort of like the dean of students then, uh, very good woman. You know, I remember her saying to me on my way out, like Jim, I think someday you're going to be like a decent person, but we're not going to wait for you here. <laughs> At Concordia University to figure that out. Right? So, <laughs> what a great line! <laughs> yeah, it's a great line. Yeah, and I was able to, to contact her later in life and like and say thank you. You, you're, you're. I think it worked out. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks, man. You, you really gave me much by this reminder, <laughs> right? Okay, yeah, anyway, okay. so yes, yeah, so, so but I, I, um, Manuj, I, he wasn't there when I was there, but there was a guy who I had um, uh, an in, like a world civ class with, but we read a bunch of classic stuff like i read like the first one i read plato was in this like world civ class okay and that really partly turned me on to philosophy this guy named he was i think he was a he went by reverend fairy at the time i think he became dr fairy and he eventually was like the longtime president of hmm. yeah and so obviously he and manuj were friends and like this is someone who was like actually important to me in my development yeah and so anyway I, and i had had contact with angus manuj a couple times throughout the career and then when he, when i heard these out of this volume and they wanted me to do it um i was like yeah I'll, by all means I'll, I'll, I'll throw something in and i had this like giant paper on hylomorphism that i wanted to be like my last statement on hylomorphism before moving on to other stuff kind of already chambered i wasn't sure what i was going to do with it because it was it was very big and like probably too big for a journal but big enough for an anthology right right so perfect yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah so perfect so i was like boom i didn't i didn't know it was like the discovery institute or anything like that when I signed up for it, right? I just knew Angus was doing this. This is a guy I knew, guy I respected. We had mutual friends. So, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. So, I don't know much about the history of it, like where it came from, like, you know, what what moved them to put it together. I just got the email 
saying, would you happen to have something on the hylomorphism, son? And I was like, it's funny you asked. Right? I got I, just the thing. <laughs> yeah, I've just got the thing for you. Yeah. 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 And so, um, yeah, so that's that's all I know about where the volume came from. And I'll say this. It's an impressive volume. Like, I didn't, this is the first time I've seen the whole thing. Yeah, dude. I was, yeah. I was impressed. Yeah. The coverage on this is, is pretty interesting. I think, you know, I think we could, we could talk about, I don't, I don't see it. It's necessarily like a really good you know, primer on philosophy of mind. Okay. But it's Minuja's like, actually Minuja's uh, contribution is, would be a nice thing yeah. to like assign to yeah. like a, yeah, a, maybe like that. Essay. And his, his book, by the way, he has a book called, I want to call it agents under fire that came yeah. out early 2000s. It's a superb book. So I ok't okay. Yeah. I haven't read that one. I remember reading it um, in the early 2000s. I was a junior professor and it was like one of my, you know, I kind of like always wanted to get back into philosophy of mind, right? And it was one of the early things I read that kind of really got me going. Yeah. Back in the direction. But I, what I do see is like, if you want like a, a overall like anti-materialist case or a, a case that's showing you don't have to be a materialist to be someone who's like taking on the science in a constructive way, a constructive way, I don't, I think this is very good, right? We yeah. Full coverage of it and people that have doing it so yeah and like i said i haven't had time to read all the contributions yeah. but there's a lot of representation in there obviously you have people uh defending a, a, a kind of substance dualist perspective you are making the case for making sense of hylomorphism there's some yeah. uh, idealists i believe in there but then you also see like specific arguments just for specific commitments like uh, there's a development of james ross's argument in there actually yeah. which as you know is is one of um I think one of the more creative and provocative and I think convincing. Who wrote that one? Uh, people I have never heard of before. It's two authors. Um, if you wouldn't mind looking it up real quick, because uh, I was not familiar with with either of them. And Selmer Brinsjord and Naveen Govindarayulu. That's that okay. cannot be the correct pronunciation. Oh, there you go. It's mathematical objects are non-physical, so we are too. It's be chapter 23. And that is so it doesn't James Ross is in the title, but it is James Ross's argument developed. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know them either. That's cool. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll be having a look at that paper. Yeah, it's cool. It's 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 cool. Um and I, of course I'm I'm partial to a lot of James Ross's stuff anyway, so I'm obviously gonna lean towards that. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about what uh, you contributed to this this volume. Yeah. Now look, I we'll keep it basic because uh I want people to actually go and read it, but also I know it's been a while since you've written it, so you it's probably not totally fresh in your memory and know how hard it is to kind of like you know dust the cobwebs yeah. off of something you wrote, you know, probably mm -hmm. like a, a year or two ago at this point yeah, but right. give us yeah. give us well, some highlights give us a sketch yeah mm -hmm. i think the first draft of that thing i did is i wrote up i had this joint you know kind of a not tip for tap just the kind of a joint thing that they, they had me do with um mark johnson at princeton mm. and i wrote up this like big big like 35 40 page paper to get ready for that and then i found out after the fact I was only going to have about 25 minutes to speak. So I had to like put that aside. And that's the origin of this paper. It was like, oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so um, this, okay, I call it mirror halomorphism, right? Is, it, is the title of it. And this, this comes from a period where like I, I had kind of realized uh, like relatively like, like late in life, mid career that I really wasn't that well educated of a human being. Right. Mm -hmm. And okay. And I, and I had, I really came to worry that a lot of what I had done with a lot of classical philosophy had just been this sort of Thomistic cherry picking. Mm, right? Mm -hmm. right. Okay. And then even what I was doing with Thomism was a kind of like, 
comfortable cherry picking, right? And and I realized that like, how well did I really understand like the classic version of hylomorphism, like what you yeah, find, right? And, and and we've talked about this, but I, I sort of started over, like really like started over, okay? And like went back and got really into De Anima and really into how it connects to the metaphysics and really into how it connects to Nicomachean ethics and didn't worry, I, I didn't worry, how does it connect with like creedal Catholicism, right? How does yeah, it connect right. with certain versions of Thomism? I just left, just, and it, you know, I still just like put all that aside, like just get, I just want to understand this and how does it work, okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I think when I looking back on like mind, matter, and nature, like the, the first book I wrote on this, I, I think I was I think I was in a lot of ways still kind of trying to get a square peg in a round hole, maybe cherry picking some stuff. And you know, I think I think that book still holds up for what it it's supposed to be. It's an, here's if you, I still think it's it's a very good book. If you wanted to be a tonalist in light of contemporary philosophy of mind, this may well be the best way to do it. Okay, so yeah. Mm -hmm. But the question of whether or not that is hylomorphism and that is like gives us the full strength of hylomorphism, I, I'm more open to that could be. The answer that could be negative and this paper sure. is, like, is me trying to figure some of that out right yeah yeah what a what an honest disposition right yeah you know you know me right i'm, I'm not a proud man right? <laughs> <laughs> right? probably frustrating yourself for some you know i i was talking about this actually yesterday jim i was talking about with another jim i was talking about with another dr jim we had dr right. jim uh, we had dr jim jacobs on the show and i brought up the fact that like hey aristotle's ethics properly understood it's just it's not even really all that close to a christian ethic really not yeah. really yeah. like like and and like the the attempt to sort of christianize the dude or christianize the aristotelian picture is i think very contrived and yeah. we shouldn't do that we should just acknowledge the commonalities where there actually are commonalities and we should also uh, you know just accept the radical divergence and there's a lot of radical divergence and i think that the divergence actually is quite good um yeah. For the Christian, because I think that Aristotle's ethics is severely deficient in some ways. Right? Yeah. It's sort of like the good life is like something that happens to only three people that are in an aristocracy, more or less. Right? Everyone else is kind of kind of screwed. Or like, you know, or like, you've got the good life for those three people, then you have the good life for the rest of the slaves. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's, it's yeah, it's, it, <laughs> right, and that's like kind yeah. of jarring. Uh, and yeah, hey, you know, maybe maybe that's right, but I don't think that there's not there's not really an aristotelian optimism there you know what i mean um of course not he was explicitly pessimistic sometimes all to say i agree with you jim yeah. i i agree with you in in general but you're you're obviously looking at this more in philosophy not even philosophy of mind but really philosophy of nature and that's sort of how you initially framed this paper yeah. which i love is you're like hey let's just back up from this use in philosophy of mind right now and just kind of understand like what motivates hylomorsum in the first place because it's not the, <laughs> the interaction problem for yeah. example, right? And I, I think that positioning is, is hugely important. So if you wouldn't mind, talk yeah. to us about it. And, yeah. and that, that's something I'm, I was I was claiming back in the first book too. It, like, yeah. look, like the, th the thing to remember here is hylomorphism as, and what I mean by mere hylomorphism is is a hylomorphism that, although I'm not a classicist, so it could be misreading the animal and all that, right? But like, it's a hylomorphism that we can actually connect to Aristotle, right? Yeah that's still you know like gives like that's the that's the mirror part right but still is like you know gonna give us a view of things that we might be able to take seriously today right yes good mm -hmm. and i think if you're going to say your hylomorphism connects with aristotle then you have to say it comes online its main motivation is the problem of change as it appears in the physics right yes that is yeah. it okay? undeniably so undeniably yeah that's i mean um, and we can get into like, you know, whether the order of the books really is the order of thinking for Aristotle, but whatever, right? Okay. So, and for Aristotle, you know, he's, 
and and this I do like riff on Mark Johnston in the paper on this quite a bit is you know the idea is is if you know if just taking any ordinary artifact like a desk like, okay that desk is not identical to its parts right how do we know that because you could you could you know go Jimi Hendrix on that desk like on a guitar right and like smash that thing up and you have all the parts but you wouldn't have the desk okay yeah. so it's not identical to the parts right and you know moreover we could like we could change over piecemeal one piece at a time of the desk over time and at no point would you say aha you stole my desk right yeah. you would say the thing is got some sort of relation to the outside so it can exchange parts and thereby it remains a desk but it's not identical to any one collection of parts right yes right and this is if you go into physics book two right these are the arguments he makes about you know uh, what is the nature of a thing, right? Okay, it's not its matter. It's not its parts, as I put it in the paper. That's how, mm -hmm. that's how I frame the paper. It's not its parts. It's it's it, It's got to be something else, right? Or it's got to be the parts in composition with something else, okay? Yes. But I think when we make a mistake, and I, and we all make the mis this mistake, and like I think the English language lends itself to this mistake, right? Is when I say it's the parts plus something else, we immediately think of it, it's another part. So, yeah right mm -hmm. right it is like there's like a special screw that goes in that desk that makes it a single desk mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. that keep, that is what it is right uh or maybe it's a screw that you can't see yeah <laughs> right? mm -hmm. but here's the deal if the, if the whole point is like how do we make sense of parts making a whole a unity right where the parts aren't sufficient for the unity adding another discrete part to it is not going to do that yes right? obviously it's, not right yeah. mm -hmm. and it's important so but but right there though We've got to go with Aristotle and say being is said in many ways. And I think I think we misunderstand homomorphism when we think of everything that's going to enter on our ontology now is a discrete, countable, right? Um, you know, concrete individual thing. Okay, because mm -hmm. that's not what a form is for Aristotle. It is not yeah. what a form mm -hmm. is, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Aristotle will tell you, you know, what what is what is it that you need in addition to the parts for the desk is you need an arrangement such that the desk does something right that we would not ascribe merely to its parts yes mm -hmm. okay and and so for an artifact like a desk it's going to be like it's got to have now restability right mm -hmm. I, I can set my mug on it right okay and so um you, you see the point here is but that's where the matter form distinction gets made okay mm -hmm. and all the matter formed so, so what is the form of the desk it's 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 being ready to be have things set on it mm -hmm. right that's what the form of the desk is, right? It's ready for things to be set upon it. That's the form, right? So when you have parts arranged such that they have ready to accept resting things, okay, it's a desk, all right? And all the the soul matter, and I don't like soul body distinction in Aristotle, I'd rather put it soul matter distinction, yeah. is, is the application of that to living things. Right, right? yes, exactly, yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so, uh trigger alert for cat lovers coming up here okay so <laughs> it's gonna get a little gruesome right you've probably heard me use the example but yeah. if you take a cat and you throw it through a wood chipper okay it will become brutally obvious that the cat is not identical to the simply the collection of its parts right because you'll have all the stuff on the far side of the wood chipper but you won't have the cat but no more fluffy right mm -hmm. no more fluffy fluffy's gone right and also fluffy's met metabolic right so fluffy's always exchanging parts with 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 his environment so he's not he's not identical parts so what is fluffy fluffy is a matter aerosol call it soul but the soul is simply the form of a living thing okay mm -hmm. 
And the way Aristotle defines soul in De Anima, when, when you finally get him to settle down in book two of De Anima and like give you this definition, he says it is the first actualization under Reeves' translation, mm -hmm. the first actualization of a living body. Mm -hmm. It's very important because like a lot of us later will try to make that the first actualizer. That's not what Aristotle says, at least according to Reeves, right? Mm -hmm. It's the first actualization. So it's not like this form is this thing that comes up to some parts and like does this action and then like does yeah does this magic on it right yeah does this magic on it right and his example in De Anima is if eyes were living organisms on their own their soul would be sight yeah mm -hmm. okay he says it's not seeing because when you close your eyes you're not seeing but they're still such that they are sighted they're ready to go yes right they're ready mm -hmm. to do the eye thing okay yeah 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 right and that's important so it, it okay so it's not like the like the soul of the eye then is something acting on the matter. It is the matter's readiness to do the eye business. Yes, right. Okay. Good, good. Subtle, but, but good distinction. Subtle, yeah, but good. But now note that that means like Fluffy is an interesting thing because he's not identical to his parts now. Yeah. Like, Aristotle's not a dualist about anything, but he's not a materialist about anything either. Yeah, <laughs> and this is this is one of the, the themes of your paper, and I think it's yeah. right. It's like, you know... Because hylomorphism gets accused of both. It's like, oh, you guys are really just dualists, right? Or, no, you guys are really just materialists. And part of your very careful um, project here is to show why neither of those are actually correct yeah. representations of the as, view. Right? As Mark Johnston put it to me in conversation, it was like, the risk is either becoming just interactive dualism or a polite version of materialism yeah polite materialism right? I, I, I like that yeah polite material. yeah. materialism with good taste right? <laughs> <laughs> right? is there such a thing <laughs> sorry sorry yeah. to all my materialist friends but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right, right. Just, just be material. like me like i accept that i'm a crude brute I just, there's, yeah. there's no yeah. such thing as a polite pat friend that's yeah. okay right yeah and and anyway and so um like Aristotle even used the example. He says, "Look, if you if you smush the eye back to the eye jelly, his example, right? Yep. Um, you don't you don't have sight anymore. The soul mm -hmm. of the eye is done, right? Mm -hmm. If he says, you know, it, like if a, if a hammer or if an axe were an organism, its soul would be its readiness to chop." And if you smash up the, the axe to bits, the readiness is gone, right? Yeah. This is Aristotle like really pressing to say he does not think souls are discrete individuals, right? In the way that the things that are souls of are discrete individuals. And I think that's very, very important, right? And, and that's and so that's one thing I really wanted to get out in this paper first is what is meant by soul there. It's like when we even given modern English to call soul in Aristotle's soul is a kind of an equivocation. Like given what people expect. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Right. Right. Uh -huh. right. I mean, people just think like in contemporary, I guess, common language speak. People. I mean, people identify soul and mind a lot of times. Right. right? And which and is again, not, yeah. you and that triggers Jim. You start doing that. Oh man, you want to set yeah. Jim off? Set me off. Right. Because I mean, because look, there's things without minds, right? Like Ferris Aristotle, trees. Trees got a soul. Is it a living yeah. thing? Yeah. Is it is it a living thing identical with its parts? The only the only living thing that is like you know doesn't have this problem for him Aristotle is the god. Right? It's the god, it's, right? Yeah, not, mm -hmm. yeah. And so um, the the tree is not identical to its parts. So it and it, and it does stuff on its own, right? So it, it's got a soul, all right. Um, but it doesn't have a mind in Aristotle's view, right? Yeah. 
and you see that. Okay, that's another thing too we should note too is like, like Aristotle will make a case for soul. Uh, at, like he, why does he distinguish between the substantial or the form of an accidental object like a desk and uh, a soul in something like a cat, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what Aristotle will argue is like the desk is entirely passive in its function, right? Mm. It's just sitting there waiting for things to be set upon it, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the only changes it's undergoing independently are simply the changes that would have undergone the wood or the screws composing it anyway. Yeah. So all the desk really does outside of just waiting to be set upon is it is decomposing in the yeah. way wood decomposes in the way metal just decomposes. Yeah. Uh -huh. So it doesn't have any active powers over and above the powers of its parts. So he'll say a desk is an accidental being. It's really just an accident of its composing parts. Yes. Right. Uh -huh. It's got a kind of temporary unity because, you know, we can do things with it, but he admits it's all relative to our interests and stuff like that. It's, yeah. It's, for sure. it's principle is not internal to it. It's externally imposed. Right. On, and, right? and hence why it's a, an artifact. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then like the, the cat, right? The tree, he would say the elements, right? They have a thing they do that is not imposed on them by anything outside of them, right? They right. Can, yeah. So the, the cat, like you get the emergence of powers right. in the cat that are not present in any sense. Yeah, like like novel systems level properties, yeah. right? And yeah. it's mysterious how you get those out of that. That's not his point. But he's just saying cats reproduce, cats hunt, you know, cats make me sneeze, all this stuff, right? That their parts alone would not do. It's an emergent feature of the cat. And thereby the cat is something over and above the parts in a more robust sense in which than which the desk is. Than the desk, it's, right. It has a soul. That's what it is to be alive for him. Yeah. Is to like have this sort of like power over your own parts. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, these like that, I mean, that's an obvious distinction. I think I think it's obvious. Um, there's certainly borderline cases, yeah. right? Everybody likes to talk about styrofoam. That's yeah. what keeps that's what keeps me up at night, right? Um, this <laughs> right, right. But like when it comes to a cat and a desk, like, yeah, it totally makes sense to have different classifications for these things precisely because of those sort of higher systems, yeah. emergent systems level properties. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then something else really important for this paper for me is, okay, so what is it that the cat has to be ready to do right, uh, in order to for us to say, like, you've got a living cat, which is to say you've got a cat soul going on there, right? I like to put it that way, like like you've got soul going on. It's like soul is in the view. Right? Dude, it you know sounds like a, it's like a I don't know an album, right? Well, it, it sounds like a Motown album from like 1969, right? That's exactly like, right. Yeah, that's yeah. soul going on. <laughs> right? I was laughing the other day because guess what just popped into my head? Bad, bad Leroy Brown, man. <laughs> just wa just walking around. That's right. Yeah. Lady. Dang, dang it, Jim. <laughs> this is what I have to deal with now. I've done what I've done to you, man. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, if you, if you get that, if you get that in the docket for the man, I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, we'll put it right on the set list. Right? That's right. Anyway. <laughs> Continue, yeah. Yeah. Just remember, yeah. listeners, you get what you pay for with this podcast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, I'm trying to bring this back now. It's center. Right. Anyway. So Got soul going. You got soul going on. That's what started. Is for Aristotle, there's no defining what the soul of cat is outside of like defining the point of flourishing for a cat. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like 
the, the notion of cat happiness and the notion of cat soul are like conceptually linked. Okay. And so uh, what is it to be an actualized cat? It's to be disposed towards a certain point of cat flourishing. Okay? Mm -hmm. A good life for the cat. Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what is it to have a human soul? It's to be disposed toward the good life of a human being. Like, you know, in, in, I think even, even like, like, you know, like if you look at the whole structure of the organism, it's all set up, right, to get that thing into like the good life of of that kind of animal, right? And even post Darwin, you can even say, well, the good life for it is just to make more of its own kind or something like that. Fine, but you're going to say like it's still this, it, like to be a cat is to be disposed in that way, right? Okay, and so once again, you're seeing the connection. You're like, if you want to talk soul for Aristotle, you got to talk ethics now right yeah because you're gonna have to bring in what is happiness you, you see that right okay mm -hmm. all right um and also like a lot of that stuff i bring this all in the paper is um you're not going to get any of that to work unless you bring in the act potency sections from the metaphysics too okay yeah um, right mm -hmm. all right and so then then you look at the human soul okay so what's the, the human soul what is it to have a human soul well it is to be an organism right that is configured in a way so that you're at the ready to do the human thing, right? You're, you know, humans, I'm loose here. I'm ready to go, right? Just put in the right situation. Boom, <laughs> right? You know, that's how he thinks. You're like, in the right situation, you'll trigger it, right? Because it's, it's the, the right. Yeah, yeah. And, okay, so what are what are the human, what's the human thing? Well, you know, we've got all the bodily, the, the vegetative stuff that the plants have. We've got the bodily stuff that the cats have or the, the, sen the sensate stuff the cats have. But also then we have this rational function, right? And... Mm -hmm. Aristotle's quite impressed by that, right? And he thinks that, to say the least, right? <laughs> to say the least, mm -hmm. that he thinks in, that 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 rational function, when fully exercised, when actively ex exercised, only makes sense in as much as it is like gained a sort of identity relationship with the God. Well, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And in that sense, he would say, like, the, the soul, the life of the human is, in fact, in a sense, separable from bodily life mm -hmm. because it, it's an involvement with something that is itself utterly separated from bodily life, the God. Mm -hmm. right? The one non-bodily thing for Aristotle, fully non-bodily, is the God. And Aristotle thinks in as much as we are capable of this sort of rest in contemplation, right, we have a non-bodily state, which then puts us in some sort of, I think he's really saying some kind of identity relation with the God. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, and then how you make sense of that aspect of our lives in coherence with the other aspects of our lives. I don't know that anyone can make sense of that. And if you read Aristotle's writings in his attempts to make sense of it, it's the thing he has the least to say about. Like if you get, mm -hmm. you get to Deanima, like the, literally where he talks about separated intellect, it is a paragraph or two, depending on how the translation breaks it up. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's a half page. Right? Mm -hmm. That's all you get. Because so I think Aristotle is saying, I'm out of things to say about this. That's it, that's it, boys. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, he says all over the day, I mean, he says, soul is not separable from, from matter. Soul is not separated from matter. Soul is not separated from matter. It's not, guys, it's not separable. And then, then he starts saying, well, unless... There's a function of the soul that the life, this thing has a part of its life that is non-bodily. Yeah. And, and maybe that's reason, but then he's like, yeah, but it seems like for us to do reason, we got to have imagination. You know I mean? And so he has these hedges throughout 
and then he's like, yeah, it looks like that active intellect business is doing that. Mm-hmm. But then and then and then you get he he says some very obscure things about it. He says we don't remember it, and then mm-hmm. he goes to the next to the next thing. Okay. <laughs> right. okay. I find myself very. I actually like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I find myself very compelled by a paper that Elizabeth Anscombe wrote about this. Mm. She says, "Yeah, it seems like there's." She 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 says, "I agree that there is no bodily organ of thought." Okay. But that doesn't mean there's a non-bodily organ of thought. Yeah, it might mm-hmm. be that thought is just the sort of thing that you cannot identify with being identical to anything. Mm-hmm. And when we start to think about thinking, we've just run out of things that can be say, said. Mm-hmm. Right? You see that, and like for Anscombe, like that's as good as you're going to get, right? Because mm-hmm. she is a very consistent Aristotelian on this, right? And I she's think great. Yeah, I, you know I love her. On yeah, and I think everything. that's where I've, I've sort of finally landed on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Jim, that was great, man. I, I'm totally satisfied. Is that the sort of introduction to yep. hylomorphism? And obviously, there's a lot more in the paper. You do talk about relations to contemporary neuroscience, but people can yeah. read the paper for some other that. very like, odd things that Aristotle says in, I think it's in the metaphysics the passage I use here about how he thinks you can like locate the primary place of the soul in the body, right? Mm-hmm. Just pretty funky. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff, man. All right, let's uh, hold the book up one more time so people can see it. I want to encourage them to grab a copy of that. If you guys are interested in philosophy of mind, I really do highly recommend this book. It's called Minding the Brain. Uh, it is, it, it's it's already out. It's officially released. You can find it on at the usual places, Amazon and, and whatnot. I'm very impressed with what I've read so far. It's great to see Jim contributing in another volume. If you guys haven't read any of Jim's published work, I mean, that's that's insulting right um <laughs> yeah. frankly frankly so so go would, do that right it would be good for the for the listeners to to go read something where i'm not just completely screwing around yeah <laughs> i mean like you are a pro and you do really yeah. great work and i want to make sure people get to uh benefit from that so yeah as goofy as we are here um uh, i've always benefited from a lot of a lot of your work and uh, i appreciate what you do really so yeah I and mean, i'm i'm proud of that paper i'll say that i don't, I don't yep. maybe, maybe i shouldn't say it but i am proud of that paper uh, i'm not saying it's the end all be all but it's a paper where you're gonna get robert brandom and aristotle right yeah and like some even some merleau ponty stuff in the same conversation um along with neuroscience so like there's it's a good representative of where I've kind of landed a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. All right, gentle listeners, check it out. Give us your thoughts and comments below. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. We'll catch you next time. See ya. This has been Mind Matters News. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.